This morning we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We read verses 19 through 31, which picks up on the evening of that resurrection morning, that first Easter morning. Hear now this reading of God's Word. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, one who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the, others, the other disciples told, told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a saying we all know, or we all should know. Those who do not know history are bound to repeat it. You've heard this, right? It's the kind of phrase that history buffs and history majors use to justify their interests or their education, right? No, it's not. It's not that. It is true that knowing the successes and the failures of the past help us consider how we should move forward. In the areas of innovation and design, there's a phrase that they use called fail fast, succeed sooner. Just like the historian's idea that you learn from your past, these innovators and designers believe that by experimenting and experimenting quickly, you can learn what works and what does not work so that you might proceed in a more meaningful and successful way more quickly. And I think 
those two phrases are helpful as we consider this passage of Scripture today. Because I think this message from the past that we can look at from the past can help us learn to look forward, learn to act differently as we move forward. Now when I say forward, I think of two things. One, I certainly think about your faith and mine as we will walk out of these doors in 25 or so minutes. But I also think about the church. I think about attendance, giving trends, deaths, baptism, births, participation, programs, and all of the ways in which the things that used to give life in a church like ours may, if we're honest, feel like they're trending closer to life support than true vitality. That makes us nervous. Typically, it makes us think about wanting to redo our past. And redoing what we used to do will only prevent us from allowing the successes and failures of the past to help us design a way forward to the future. We have to learn from the past so we don't repeat it. Not repeat the past, hoping it will succeed. And that's why I think Scripture, this passage, actually has a lot to teach us today. A lot to say about how God worked in Jesus' ministry on earth. Yet then, as we turn to the disciples founding the church what we will see is they learn from their past mistakes so that they don't repeat them. The disciples, without realizing it, I think we can maybe read back onto them, they were, this week after Jesus had been resurrected, they were failing fast so that they could succeed sooner. They were doing only what they knew how to do, but if you turn over a few pages into the book of Acts, you realize that they were acting differently, they were living differently, they were embodying their faith differently, and they were wildly successful as the church was growing and coming into being through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it all happened after they decided to get out from behind those locked and closed doors, hidden away in those houses. This is often called and considered the doubt passage. It's Thomas's doubt passage. Blessed are those who have seen, or who will see, yet have, who have not seen, yet will come to believe. And I think that is the motivating force for us. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet will come to believe. Jesus, he soon ascends into heaven after he's with his disciples. And the apostles take over his earthly ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But before he goes, he gives them three things in this passage that I think help them embody a more useful Meaningful faith going forward? In verse 21, Jesus says, as the, Holy Spirit, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. 
Disciples are to be sent, not locked up. In verse 23, Jesus says, I give you the Holy Spirit. Whatever you forgive will be forgiven. Disciples are to forgive graciously. And in verse 27, he tells Thomas to help people to see. The disciples of Jesus help others to see the power of God in the world. Now when we turn to verse 19, the disciples, it's evening after Resurrection Sunday morning, and they are meeting in a house. They've moved from where they had spent their Sabbaths in their own homes and are together. But they're behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And Jesus shows up and says that word, peace. Peace be with you. And then he says, as my Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus tells them to do exactly the opposite of what they were doing in that very moment. Jesus was resurrected. He was alive. The ministry that he had been living out for three years on earth was no longer abandoned and dead. It has been given life because he is alive. Yet the disciples were afraid. They were not empowered. They were, they were staying home. They were not sent people. So Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus tells them to move from being an observer of life and an observer, observer of faith and put your faith to work on earth as an integral part of what God is doing in the world. Go and tell. Get out from behind the locked doors after the resurrection and spread the love of God. Peter and Andrew and James and John, you are sent. And you and you and you and you and me and the choir, we are sent. We are here to share and spread the love of God. We are sent. The world needs God's love. And if the world isn't going to come in here to hear that, then you are sent. As the Father has sent the disciples, so too you are sent to go and do the good work of God's love and grace in the world. Disciples are sent people. But disciples are also forgiving people. It's kind of funny. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit. And then the first thing he tells us to do, he tells the disciples to do, is if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's as if Jesus knew how hard forgiveness was. That he gave us the Holy Spirit in order to do it. But the followers of Jesus have been given the Holy Spirit to get out from behind the locked doors and to embody forgiveness in the world. And this should underscore for us the importance of living differently, acting, thinking, and being different than the rest of the world around us. 
Like, we're not good at forgiveness, but out there is really not good at forgiveness. The world around us is not good at forgiveness, which is why so many still live by an eye for an eye. That's why so many relationships get severed so quickly. That's why we have tension in families, anxiety in social relationships. That's why people struggle with the gossip that runs rampant in their communities. That's why in the community, in the clubs, in the peanut galleries, in the business and social circles around us, they don't run on forgiveness. They don't have to forgive. But the disciples of Jesus in order to bring God's goodness in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, must be a forgiving people. We must embody and teach the Spirit and the power of God's forgiveness so that we can help others believe because no one else is going to forgive them. If we want to think about the future for ourselves and for our church, we must embody a genuine love and a gracious forgiveness. That's what we've been given the Holy Spirit for. And if we can't do that, why would anybody why would anybody want to be a part of it? This is called the Thomas Passage. Because Thomas comes to see, and we are called to help people to see. In verse 27, Jesus lets Thomas put his fingers in his hands and in his side, and he believes, but I can't help but wonder, as I have before, that if the disciples had managed to embody their belief a little better in the week between the two Sundays when they were in the house, if maybe Thomas would have come to believe on his own, having not seen. I mean, if you say that Jesus is resurrected and is alive, but you're stuck behind locked doors, what are you saying? Maybe we invoke the cliche, actions speak louder than words, right? And, you know, we can't touch Jesus the same way Thomas did. I believe that though others cannot touch Jesus the way Thomas did, I think if we are sense people who forgive, I think that if we do that and with generosity share God's love, then, well, then maybe we can help people to see even though they don't see. Maybe we can help them to believe without seeing. The disciples didn't do that with Thomas. They couldn't get it right, but, but, but it won't be long before they do. They'll be preaching outside Solomon's portico and the church will be growing and Jesus will have been ascended into heaven and people will come to believe. And so disciples are those who help others to, to see and to believe. And if we do this, we don't need to touch the wrist of Jesus because the Holy Spirit is alive and at work enough among us to help us find ways to faithfully embody the love of Jesus. 
And so those who don't know history are bound to repeat it. And we see that the disciples got it wrong here. And maybe we can learn from that. Those three observations about faith from this passage, I think, are important. We are sent, we are to forgive, and we are to help others to see. And I think in doing that, we will cultivate a faith for the future. And I think that's important, and I've been thinking about the future, because we do consider things, we do consider our future around here. If we, alongside others who ask questions, wonder what the congregation of Oxford Baptist might look at in 5, 10, or 15 years, we have questions. If we wonder what Christian faith might look like in those same years, it's going to be different because, well, it's not just that not as many people come to our church as used to. Not as many people go to church as used to go to church. Oh, back when we were kids, or when you were kids, or half the population of America went to church. Now, on any given Sunday, 17% of Americans go to church. Why is that? When we look at, I don't know, but when we look at congregations, and we look at how we must change, oh, there's lots of things we can consider. There's lots of constraints that we face. These are all things that I ask myself all the time, believe me. And there's a lot of things that people say might solve problems like this for us. And I think, in a way, akin to that which the disciples were facing, we face something. Oh no, it's not as radical as moving from Jesus' ministry on earth to the power of the Holy Spirit at work on earth. But in the same way that them moving from the Gospels to the book of Acts wasn't going to work if they looked backwards, neither will it work for us to just look backwards. Rather, we must not be held captive by fear. We must not metaphorically lock the doors and hide ourselves inside even though that is what might feel natural. We must consider, truly consider the power of God and the deep faith that we are called to and not have fear. Peace, Jesus says. And not only would the church be better off if it had less fear, the way for that to happen is for us to be more reliant on our deep faith in the Lord who was trying to pull the disciples out of a locked room. And if we want the vibrant church that we read about in the book of Acts, it doesn't just come because we buy a new set of curriculum or we update a set of old programs or we get screens like the church down the street has. Rather, if we look at faith and if we look at history and the history of the church, vibrancy never came as a function of style or practice or fads. Vibrancy in the realm of God's people is always an outgrowth of the deep faith that they have, that the church had, because of their love for Jesus. 
And the way that we cultivate that love and embody that love is to reflect on what we learn from the disciples today. So we decide that we're sent. We decide that we are sent to embody God's love to those who need it. Oh, and mentally it's the easiest one, but actually it might be the hardest one because it calls us to get up and go out. But if we believe the love of Jesus, we should have no fear of that. And then we need to be forgiving. We need to forgive others and forgive ourselves better because of God's love for us. We must embody forgiveness that, is, that feels radical, but is gracious and generous. Because that kind of forgiveness has the power to generate hope and bring meaning to the lives of others. That kind of generosity and forgiveness speaks to a world that has nowhere else to find it. And given all we face in the petty competitions of workplaces, in the the survivalist nature that we face when it comes to making decisions about our schools, and even in the gossipy nature of peanut galleries all over everyone's town in every town in America... If we don't forgive one another and we don't be a forgiving people as Christian people, we might as well just be trapped in the upper room like those disciples, living in fear of the oppression of the religious leaders of his day. If you want to have a faith for the future, it's got to be a forgiving faith. And finally, it's got to be a faith that helps others to see In the early church in Acts, Peter and the disciples grow in their number because they are healing and helping people to see, yes, literally, but also spiritually. That's what the community was formed around, helping people to see the love of God at work in the world. And so just like in those instances where Jesus helps Thomas to see, we need to be a community of people that help others to see as well. This morning, we have been given three things to consider. Three things that are not the easiest to do, but I believe will cultivate a deep enough faith to carry us into the future. So we need to get out from behind the locked doors and embody the fact that we are sent. We need to radically forgive because no one else will. And we need to help others to see God at work in the world. Because we as his disciples are to help others to see. If you want to be a part of a church that has a future, it's going to look different than the past, but it is going to have those things as a part of it. And in all of those things, we will be most okay. Because through all of those ways, we will know the Lord is with us. We will know the Lord is carrying us. And we will see how the Lord is bringing others alongside us to carry that good news as well. Will you pray with me? Loving God, gathered this morning, we are a people who deeply care about you, who care about your church, and who care about our faith. And so, Lord, help us in our unbelief. 
Help us grow in strength and in our faith and help us to have the wisdom and the courage to know how to move forward embodying your love, your grace, your care, and your forgiveness to others. Lord, help us. Help us because we need it. Help us because you can. And help us so that we might share your love with those who need it in our, fr- in our friendships, in our family relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, and in this community. Not so that we might grow, but so that your love might grow here. And that's something for which we would give great thanks. And that's something we ask your help with. And it's in your name we ask that prayer today. Amen.